Okay, can we talk about time? It's time to climb. This is our theme for 2010. That's why we're talking about it. We've sung about it this morning. Ryan has read the entire 24th Psalm to us. Look, everybody knows the 23rd Psalm, right? I mean, that's like the superstar movie celebrity 23rd Psalm, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But a lot of times, the 24th Psalm, we, we may, might forget about it. But what a fantastic psalm. It talks about mountain climbing. And so Derek has already talked to you about the mailer. And so we took a picture of Derek after his New Year's party, and we put it on the front of this mailer here, and you see what's on the back side. We're going to really get into the, 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 you know, the psalm where it talks about clean hands and pure heart. We'll talk about that a little bit next week because you see we're talking about church. Uh, next week, no more condemnation, no more judgment. Uh, this is what people are looking for in a church. Not a church that doesn't have any rules. There's not condemnation and judgment. And we're talking about that a little bit next week. And some of the other things we're talking about is money. God doesn't need your money. You do. Does anybody want to say amen to that? God doesn't need your money. You do. So we're talking about money, and we're talking about spirituality, and we're talking about hope. We've got a bunch of these at the front door. You know, if you're the kind of person that wants just to address this and send it to somebody to invite them, you can do. That's an easy thing to do. If you don't like to do that, you don't have to do that, whatever. We just thought we'd make them available to you because they gave us about 500 extras, and what the heck are we going to do with 500 extras? So we have them there for you. All right, mountain climbing. We want to talk about this, climbing the mountain of God. So as you read through the scriptures, you see that over and over again, the scriptures are packed full with people who are like these major league mountain climbers. They, you know, they just right up the mountain. They love to do it. You know, what you saw happening here, they love to go up. Maybe not in something that big, but they love to climb the mountain. And I want to talk about what kind of person climbs the mountain today. What who is going to, the scriptures ask this question. Who will climb the mountain of God? And I want to ask us a question. I asked myself this question the past couple weeks in preparation today. What kind of person is a mountain climber? Well, the kind of person a mountain climber is somebody who's adventurous. I mean, they're a person who's not into mediocrity, right? They're not into being sedentary. They want to stretch. They want to learn. They want to grow. These are the kind of people who climb mountains. And these are the kind of people who climb the mountain of God. The same type of people. The Bible is filled with these mountain climbers. King David, who wrote this 24th Psalm, major league mountain climber, adventure from start to finish in his life. Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. Hannah, Mary Magdalene. Uh, Moses. Moses was a major mountain climber. You think about the things that happen on the mountain. What does the mountain represent? Hold on, I put my, here it is. Let me draw you a mountain. I'm very good. I, I, I don't draw often up here, but I'm very good at it uh, when I do. So here is the mountain. Okay, that's God's mountain right there. What is the mountain? Why do we want to climb the mountain? You know, don't be in all of the picture. It's okay. This, it's a simple picture, all right? But the, the, why, do we want, why do we want to climb? Because it represents the presence of God, right? The presence of God is up on the mountain. Micah 4.2 says that the mountain is the house of God. It represents perspective. In Revelation 21, John says, you know, God took me up high on this mountain, and I, I can see all over the city. So what? it's like going to a football game. When you climb the mountain of God, you gain a much better perspective on your life, on your relationship with God, on what's going on in the world. So you gain perspective. It represents God's power. There's power up on the mountain. God speaks on the mountain. His presence is there. His protection is there. God's rule and reign. The most famous prayer in the world is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What happens as we go up the mountain, what's happening is more of the rule and the reign and the will of God is being done. It's an answer to that all 
you know, that important prayer. God's will would be done. This what it, that's what it means to climb the mountain of God. Now, here's the question that we have to ask ourselves as a church, everybody. Is Grace Community Church, is it a church of campers or is it a church of climbers? Like, as a whole, we'll get into the individual thing in a minute, but as a whole, as a community, this community here, Grace Community Church, we campers or climbers? I was reading, I was reading a guy, um, a pastor, recently, and he was talking about this whole idea. And he was saying, you know, anytime you go and you like move into a new area and you're looking for a new church, the very first thing you should ask yourself when you walk into that church is, is this church a camping church or is it a climbing church? See, because God calls us to climb and then calls us to camp. He calls us to climb, to climb up that mountain. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus Christ is speaking to this church, the church of Laodicea. And he says to them, he says, listen, you're doing some good stuff, but here's my problem with you. You're not hot and you're not cold. You're lukewarm right in the middle. You've decided to camp, and it's I'm tired of you being lukewarm. What's, what's he saying, everybody? He's saying, you know what? You started to climb, and then you made a camp, and then you said, we're just going to camp. We were climbers once, but now we've settled for camping. Like for the rest of our days, we're going to camp. And God says, that's no good. He says, either climb the mountain, because that's why you're there, or get the heck off of it. It's time to climb. So are, are we a church of climbers or campers? We've been talking a lot about this whole issue for a while. We've had groups of people. We've had large gatherings, small gatherings. We've been talking. We're thinking, praying, God, what do you want us to do? How can we climb? You're calling us to do a new thing. We've been talking to you all about that for weeks. God's stirring something in us. It's time to do something new. Isaiah, it's time to do a new thing. Well, here's one of the new things that we're going to do. We're going to do a, a number of things. But let me get a couple things we're going to do that's going to affect the next couple months of Grace Community Church. So... For the past five years, the attendance pattern of grace usually is in the weeks leading up to Easter, our attendance swells. Isn't that interesting? You ever heard that happen in a church before, leading up to Easter, the attendance swells? But here's where it usually swells with us. It swells with us with people who don't go to church. We have a, a large amount of people who don't go to church who come and check out grace. Now, there are people who've never been to church before or they've been burned and bored by church, and maybe you're in that category here today. Maybe you're in one of those categories here today. And so we swell, all right? And a, a full church, when it's, when it's packed, it's really popular to church people. Church people love, you know, kind of see a packed house unless somebody sits in their seat and then they get angry, right? But, but, but for people who don't go to church, they don't like necessarily to see a packed house and every seat taken because they want to come in and sit on the back row. They want to, you know, they want that back row. They want it, don't want it to be so, quite so full. So here's what we're going to do. Um, in the weeks leading up to Easter, there's five Sundays starting on March the 7th all the way to Easter Sunday, which is April the 4th, for those five Sundays, we're going to go to three services. And those three services, because we're constrained, we're dealing the only card hand that we have. I'm not a poker player, but this is the only hand that we have to play. We, we, we are confined by time here. There's a time when we can start. There's a time we can finish. So we're going to have three 45-minute services, five Sundays, three 45-minute services which means the music is going to have to be condensed and the message is going to have to be condensed. And some of you are saying like, whoa, this is like the best news I have heard in a very, very long time. But there are some of us here in this room who, you know, whatever reason, they're saying, that's not a good, that's not good news to me. I want the music to be longer. There are actually people who come and say, I want the music to be longer. And believe it or not, there are some people who come and say they want the message to be longer. People say that about Derek all the time. They don't say that about me, but they want the message to be longer, right? Well, so it's going to be a little bit of a sacrifice. And here's the deal. 
When you ask people who don't go to church, how long would you like a service to be? One hour is always the absolute max. Like if you can get in under hour. So it appeals to them. And it's only five, only five weeks. So the concerns are two. Shorten down, and then also I'll tell you the other in just a second. Here's what we're going to do. First of all, I want to remind you it's only five weeks that we're going to do this. I want to remind you that we want to reach out to people who don't go to church. I want to remind you of this. I want to remind you of this, that Jesus Christ paid way too much high of a price for us to camp on the side of his mountain. Like when he was hanging on that cross, dying, and the Bible tells us he was beaten beyond recognition. Can you imagine looking down at his followers and saying, please go and camp the rest of your life on the side of my mountain? This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, everybody. This is about people who I, just because of the position I'm in here at Grace, get to hear all the time who come to me and say, you know what, I never went to church before. Somebody told me about a church who didn't go to church, or I got a mailer that said this is a church people don't go to church, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to overcome my fear, and I'm going to check this place out, and I'm going to come in. And I get to hear them tell stories about how they connected with God. That's awesome. I get to hear, and I just had a conversation with a guy and his wife about four weeks ago. Right there at the door, they were leaving. They were headed out west because they're moving. They'd been here for three years. For three years, they sat right over here, and they, to their own admission, they did absolutely nothing except heal. They'd been burned by church badly. And they heard about this church, a church being a church, and they thought, oh, let's go check that out. What's that about? And they came in, and God just healed them. Look, we need to create a little more space. And here's where I want to get into concern number two, a little more space. The second concern is people say, ah, man, I don't want to be a mega church. All right, let's have a reality check. Okay, look at the size of this room. Now we're adding one service. The only difference between us and a mega church is about 10,000 people. That's all. Just little, little difference. We're talking about adding 100 people. We're talking about making a little bit of space. That's, that's all we're talking about doing. And we're talking about doing that for five weeks to reach out to people all over this community. Guys, this community is filled with people who really want to connect with God. The majority of people in this community say they want to connect with God. We just want to create a space for five weeks, a little more space so they can do that. Now, and then we'll go back to our regular two services. The only reason we wouldn't go back to two services, if for some reason, and we don't think this is going to happen, that we're like jam-packed full, three services solid for, five, for those five weeks. I don't think that's going to happen. That would be the only caveat to which we would do that. But the stakes are too high. God calls us to be climbers of his mountain and not campers to do something for Jesus Christ that's way beyond. All right. Um, if you want to talk to me more about that, you have questions, this doesn't start till March the 7th. We want to let you know about that. We're asking you to pray. We're asking you to pray about that. We're asking you to be open. We're asking you when brand new people walk in. You know, some of the best stories I hear about, a brand new person comes in, they end up staying, and they tell me, you know what, I came in, and somebody, you know, welcomed me, or somebody smiled, and or I got invited out to lunch. Not everybody wants to be invited out to lunch the first day. We A lot of people come in because the number one uh, emotion is fear when people walk through the door, and they're like, just leave me alone. Don't look at me. You guys might be nuts. You might be a cult. I'm just here. What the heck is wrong with you people? You're talking about climbing. You're showing Mission Impossible. This is your church. What's the deal, right? you got some old guy's face up there. What's happening? Right? So a lot of people are scared. A lot of people are scared. All right? So we want to understand that. 
God could care less about us becoming a megachurch. He could care less about us going to three services. The only thing he cares about is, is his lost sheep, in the words of Jesus Christ, who are maybe out on the side of a hill and they're hurting or they're disconnected from him. And he wants to welcome them in with a warm embrace. Now that matters. Now that matters. And that's the only reason that we're, that we're doing that. So anyway, you want to talk about that, please do. All right, now let's, let's turn the focus to us you know, individually, so to speak and our own mountain climbing and what we need. I read this great quote recently. It says there's two kinds of climbers in this world, smart ones and dead ones, smart ones and dead ones. Here's the deal. You've got to have a plan, and that plan's got to be very smart. You want to climb this mountain? This mountain's a dangerous place. Mountain climbing is one of the most dangerous things that you could ever do in this world. Mountain climbers, very good mountain climbers, die on a regular basis. That's what I have learned. You've got to have a great plan if you want to ascend up to this mountain of God. You've got to have a great plan. So I want to talk to you about four essential ingredients in climbing the mountain of God. And I want to talk to you about it from this book right here, which is called The Bible of Mountain Climbing. Mountaineering, the freedom of the hills. You can go on Amazon website. You can put this book in, and you'll see the very first review says, This is the Bible of Mountain Climbing. You've got to know what this says. So I want you all to welcome uh, Phil Bracken. Phil, stand up. Phil is a major league climber. Everybody clap for Phil. Thank you. Major league mountain climber here. He has been a wonderful resource to me. We're going to hear from him later. His only deal to give me all this stuff, because he's got all these goodies up here that he is sharing with me that I'll use with you in a moment as a visual. He said, you've got to stand me up so people can see me, so I can get some credit. So we're doing that now. We're going to hear from Phil in a moment. Thank you, Phil. So this is the Bible of mountain climbing, and this is what the Bible says. It says that in here... I think it's like page 44. I can't remember. It gives us a number of things we have to have. Let me give you four of them. Number one, navigation. Navigation. What is navigation? It's a compass. So here's my handy little compass right here. It's either a compass or it's a map. It's how you get from point A to point B. It's how you get from point A to point B. You've got to know how to get there. How are you going to navigate that? You just don't walk out on a mountain and say, oh, phew, hey, I'm just going to head to the top. You don't do, No. It takes some planning, everybody. And you just don't willy-nilly walk in and say, hey, I'm going to climb the mountain of God. You know, I was listening to uh, a preacher recently, and he was doing a seminar on discipleship. And he was talking to a group of, like, totally, you know, committed, full-blown followers of Christ all over. And he asked them a question. He says, what is your plan for growing in Jesus Christ? And the whole room went silent, and not one person had a plan. Do you have a plan? You have a plan in place for climbing this mountain. So, look, this is more difficult than Mount Everest. Do you have a plan for getting up of it? That's the question. Do I have a plan? I haven't had a plan for years. But I'm realizing I have to have a plan if I really want to climb. For years I wonder, why am I, why am I kind of slowly going up this mountain? And I realize i got to have an effective plan to actually get up the mountain. So the compass tells me what? It's the navigation, point A to point B. So what is our compass? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says in John 14, he says, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's our compass. He's what we follow to get from point A to point B. And so the question is this. Maybe you received Christ as Savior a long time ago. Is he really your guide today? Maybe you received Christ as Savior last week. Is he your guide today? Maybe you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your mountain guide. You could do that right in your own seat, right by yourself, real personal life, and just say, you know what? I want to climb this mountain. I'm interested in mountain climbing. I want to get closer to you, God, your will, your presence, your power, your rule, all that kind of stuff. Consider doing that right now. God, forgive me of my sins. And Jesus Christ, I want you to be the guide of my life. 
That's where mountain climbing begins. It begins with the compass. Jesus Christ is the compass. You've got to put the compass in your hand. Jesus Christ is the compass that you have to put in your hand. It all starts with navigation, from getting from point A to point B. Now, here's the thing, everybody. I tend to do things my way, you know? I mean, I talk about following Jesus Christ all the time, but I always, my default thing is I'm always falling back on me. Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, this man right here. There's a way that seems right to me, but in the end, it leads to death. It leads to destruction. Boy, isn't that the truth? I am always going my way thinking I'll climb this mountain in my strength and my power and my wisdom and what I know. And it never, it never, ever works. Jesus says in Matthew 7, there's a cool verse. He says, narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, right? But wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Wide is the way. There are, everybody, there are a lot of ways to fall off of this mountain. Think about this. There's a lot of ways to fall off. There's very few ways up it. When they were trying to figure out how to get up to uh, Mount Everest, a Swiss expedition spent 50 years searching for the right way to get up the mountain. Searching. Because there's very few ways up the mountain. And there's only one way up the mountain of God. And that is through Jesus Christ. There's a great line, some of you who have ever read Tolstoy's writings. He wrote this novel, Anna Karenina. And that writing has become very popular, but the opening line is very often quoted. And it says this. It says, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. What's he saying? Saying that there's a lot of ways to fail. There's a lot of ways to fall off the mountain. But those who are going up the mountain tend to go up one pass. Jesus Christ is the navigation. Here's the second thing that the Bible mountaineering tells us that we need. We've got to have hydration. Hydration. So Phil brought in, and I'm sure some of you at some point in your life, maybe hiking the trail or riding your bike, anybody know what this is? It is a camelback. So we drink. And is drinking water important? As I see Kelly picks up her water bottle right there, as I just mentioned it. That just made her. See how those, whatever those things are, would you, whatever. Subliminal, that's right. Okay. So, We've got to have water because our bodies stop without water. Like, we can go a while without food, can't we? Some of us might be even go, able to go longer without food because we've got, you know, stores. I've, you know, we're storing up supplies. But, uh, you know, we've got to have water or our bodies stop. So here's the question, everybody. What stops you from going up this mountain? So at some point, does anything stop you from going up this mountain? Yes. James chapter 4 tells us very, very clearly. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you're trekking up this mountain and you've got a lot of pride in your heart or whatever, God just, boom, he stops you right there and says, you'll go no farther because I'm opposing you. Can't, no, not going to take another step. So it takes a humble heart. It takes a humble heart. Now, here's what I want to focus on. I want to focus on one thing very specifically about a humble heart. Because people with a humble heart have teachable spirits. Teachable spirits. People with humble hearts have teachable spirits. It's very important that we allow ourselves to be people who are not of strong opinions, can't be taught anything, but our hearts are humble enough that we're willing to soak it up like water teaching and learning because we need to learn a lot you read any books about mountain climbing it says you've got to be a learner in order to climb the mountain now i'm reading this book actually i'm not reading it i'm listening to this book right now by jim's jim collins anybody heard business guru jim collins good to great built the last anybody business people no okay four or five 
All right. So, man, he's this huge business guru. And he wrote this book about these billion-dollar mega corporations that have fallen off the mountain, who have fallen off the financial mountain, who have failed in all kinds of different industries. And so I'm listening to this book, and he's going to give me five steps towards failure. And he gets to step number one, and I'm ready. I'm driving down the road, and I've got a pad of paper and hoping that I don't run anybody in the car. But I'm listening, and I'm ready to go. Step number one. I'm thinking this step one, everybody. We're talking about billion-dollar corporations. How do they fail? I'm ready for a tactical, technical, very strategic misstep that they made that caused them to fail. It's got to be highly tactical. You know what he says? Step number one hubris. Lord, I have to go get the dictionary out to figure out what does that mean? Hubris. Hubris is pride. You tell me billion-dollar corporations, Jim Collins, that the first step towards failure and plunging off the mountain, a billion-dollar company plunges off the mountain because they have a lot of pride? Yes, he tells his story. There was a bunch of investors out of Brazil, and they wanted to start a large retailing corporation, so they sent letters to 13 major CEOs around the world in that whole industry, and they only got a response back. They wanted to meet with these CEOs. They got a response back from one CEO. So they hopped on a plane down in Brazil, and they flew up to Arkansas, and they got off the plane in Arkansas, and there was this guy there with his pickup truck and his dog, and his name was Sam Walton. And these investors get off, and they're looking for this billionaire guy. And, and he said, hey, can I help you? He said, we're looking for somebody named Sam Walton. He said, hey, I'm him. Hop in the truck. They got in the truck. All the big-time investors got in the truck with the dog and Sam. And they go back to his house. And while Sam washes the dishes at his kitchen sink, he says this to him. He says, look, look, look. Before you start asking me a bunch of questions, I would really like to learn from you. Can you tell me everything you know about this business? I, I just would want to soak up learning. Everybody, is that calculating for you? We're talking about the biggest corporation in the world. We're talking about Sam Walton, the billionaire, Washington Disney Six. You know, I really want to soak up from you. Here's the question. Do we have enough humility in our hearts? And we're climbing up the mountain that we say, I need to learn. I need to learn as much as I can. When people describe you, if you went to somebody and you said, hey, can you describe me? Am I an opinionated person who's closed down or am I just like, am I like wide open and ready to learn? You know, what would somebody say back to you? And James says that we should be quick to listen and we should be slow to speak. Which one describes you? I know in my life, a lot of times I've been very quick to speak. I've got the answers. I've got the answers. Having a teachable heart. Have any humble, te- I pray that for my kids all the time. Oh, God, please give them teachable spirits. This is what it says in Proverbs. This The whole first chapter of Proverbs all about having a humble heart, willing to soak up learning. It says, since they hated knowledge, this is wisdom speaking, since they hated knowledge, did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Having a teachable spirit is so important. Point number three. Number three is insulation, everybody. Insulation. So Phil brought me this fantastic mountain climbing jacket right here. You've got to, what you put around you, that's what this represents. 
You have to put some. You can't run out there, you know, in short sleeves and shorts going on a big mountain climbing expedition that's going to take you a long time. You've got to take stuff. You've got to put stuff around you that's going to insulate you, that's going to keep you safe. Now, what is it for the person who's climbing the mountain of God? What do they have to put around them? What does this represent? This represents people. People. The Bible says that two is better than one. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. You have to be very wise about who you put around you, but you must put people around you. You cannot climb this mountain alone. You'll find no mountain climbers way up here on the mountain of God who are by themselves. They're always in a discipleship. Jesus Christ, how did he send his disciples out? Did he send them out one by one to take the world by storm? No, it says he sent them out two by two. And so who we put around us is very, very important. I need accountability in my life in order to go up this mountain. I need accountability. I need to answer to somebody. I need to, talk. I need to be able to be open and trust somebody that I can talk to them. I need to get their wisdom, their understanding, their direction as I climb up this mountain. It is a cardinal sin in mountain climbing that you go out on your own, Right? So there's this guy, his name is Aaron Ralston, who a few years ago went on a climb out in Utah. This guy was a very experienced mountain climber. He climbed all the 14,000 peaks of Colorado. He had done this. So one day, he decides he's going to strike out into Utah. He's going to go by himself. You know, he's climbed so many times, he knows he shouldn't do it. He does it, goes by himself. And he's not doing a big-time serious climb, but he's going up the side of this mountain. And as he climbs, he gets his handhold, and he's beginning to pull himself up. And there's this boulder where his hand is, and the boulder slightly shifts. And when it slightly shifts, it pins his hand. Here he is on the side of this mountain. His hand's pinned. He thought, oh, I'll get it out. He couldn't get it out. He tugged and tugged and tugged and tugged, and it wasn't, wasn't budging. He could not get his hand out. One day went into two, and two days went into three. Three went into four, and he's thinking, somebody's going to find me. And after six days, he realized nobody's going to find him. He's got his digital camera, and he's saying his goodbyes in case somebody stumbles across his body. And finally, it dawns on him after six days that he is about ready to die, and he only has one thing left that he can do. He takes out his little pocket knife, and he cuts his arm off by himself. He amputates himself. He rappels down 65 feet, and then he walks the eight miles out of the park that he was in. Now, the guy has become famous, been on all the talk shows. He's a motivational speaker today. And if you watch him, he'll tell you very clearly. He says, you know what? I'm famous because I'm an absolute idiot. I'm a total, complete idiot. I'm a climber. I know how to climb, and I broke all the rules because a climber never climbs alone. That's the first thing you need to know. And we're going to talk a lot about discipleship in 2010. You can't climb alone. You want to go up this mountain, and you're by yourself? I'm going to tell you right now, forget it. It's not working. All right, here's the second thing. Phil, come on up. All right, uh, I'm going to try not to buzz it this time. When I pull this, okay. You stand on that side, Phil. There you go. Phil's going to talk to us about a time. Here's where it's really important. Climbing alone is bad, but also be very careful who you select to climb with. Phil, take it away. This thing, okay. Got it close to my mouth. I'll do better this service. Um, yeah, I I can say firsthand that it's important to pick the, the climbers that you climb with. Uh, one thing I was just thinking about as you were talking was when you've forgotten the essentials, if you ever forget the essentials, it's important to have the people around you to uh, to help you remember those, to, to go back in the Bible, you know, whether it be the Bible of mountaineering or the Bible um, of, of our faith, it's important to have those people that are wise and will remind you. And um, I learned this firsthand in a, uh, in a climb in upstate New York in the Adirondacks, one of the more um, uh, remote wildernesses in, in the country. 
uh, some climbers and I decided to go climb um, Upper Wolf Jaws Peak, which is a very steep peak. We brought skis. We were going to ski down it because that was really smart to do. Um, and, uh, and we learned very, very hard uh, ways to... Uh, to try to find the top, to try to ski down, it was it was nearly impossible. You couldn't see. When, when, even when you get to the top of a mountain, you sometimes can't see the path. Um, we got to the top. I had sweat on the way up because I was uh, I was out of shape at the time. I uh, didn't bring my insulation. I forgot that. Didn't bring my water. Uh, don't know how, but I forgot that. Uh, didn't bring a headlamp because we thought we'd be really fast because we were prideful. And uh, it all it all um, got to the point where we're on the summit. The sun was going down. It was below zero. Uh, I was hypothermic, trying to uh, figure out what to do, and uh, I told my friends, hey, I've got to go down. If I don't go down now, I'm, I'm going to be in bad shape. Um, and unfortunately, they decided to stay on the top and look for um, a way to ski down. They really, really wanted to find that path. So I went down by myself. I committed the cardinal sin of, uh, of going down by myself because I felt so panicked on the inside that I was going to freeze to death on, this, on the summit. Um, I ended up hiking for seven, six, seven miles uh, back to the car in the dark without a headlamp, I thank God every day, actually, at this point, that there was a moon um, in between clouds every once in a while that I was able to see a path in this very wooded area in the Adirondacks for about six miles. It took me about twice as long to get back to the car. Um, I did make it back. If anything had gone wrong, though, um, without those people there, I probably would have died uh, if I had fallen and gotten wet, if I had gotten hurt, if I had gotten lost. And so uh, you very quickly learn that you have to have the right climbers, whether you're climbing a large mountain or you're climbing you know, close to home. It's, uh, it's very important. Uh, you have to select the right people to climb with. Those guys should have said to Phil, hey, Phil, you're going down, we're going with you. We're not going to let you go alone. You can't make it anymore, you got to get down, we're going with you. If you're not climbing with a group of people that you know and you trust and who have character, who are going to stick by the rules with you, who are not going to go behind you and tear you down or in front of you and tear you down or be right there for you, be honest with you, now, all those things that you need in a fellow climber, then you're climbing with the wrong person. Here's the last, here's the last point, illumination. You've got to have illumination. So Phil brought in the, the little headlamp, you know, I won't stick it on my head, but it goes like that, you know, and you turn on a little thing and it gives you light, right? It gives you light. So every climber needs illumination. Well, this is really easy to figure out what our illumination is because the Bible right here tells us, it's 119 Psalm, it says God's word is a lamp. It's a lamp. It's a light. Light shines. When we become careless with the light and we think, hey, I can leave the light behind. Phil said he left the light behind. When we leave the light behind and we get careless, you know, I, jo I know John 3.16. I know the Lord's Prayer. I know the 23rd Psalm. How much more is there to know? I mean, I can't know all of it, right? But when I get careless with it, when I get careless with God's Word, we get careless about carrying the light, disaster happens. And I have read in the past couple weeks, getting ready for this message today, that there are great climbers who die all the time, not hanging off the side of some 200-foot cliff. They die because they're just walking around their little camp on the side of the mountain, and they get careless. One guy was just walking around taking pictures of other people in the camp with him and the mountain, and he wasn't watching what he was doing. One of the greatest climbers in the world. And he slipped, and he fell to his death while everybody stood there in stunned amazement. How can one of the greatest climbers in the world die walking around camp taking pictures? You've got to have God's Word in your hand, close by at all times. All right, that's it. So the question is, today, as we close down, are you a climber or are you a camper? Do you want to be a climber or do you want to be a camper? Human tendency is always, you know what? Maybe if I climb, I'll climb for a while, but then I'm just going to choose to camp. We don't like things to change. 
Jesus Christ says you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. What does that mean? Basically means this. You've got to be a climber. If you want to go up the mountain of God, you've got to be a climber. So today is communion, everybody, and so here's what we're going to do. So in communion, Jesus says this. He says something very interesting in, in, in the whole communion service. He says basically he shows up in a special way when you celebrate Holy Communion. Like he walks amongst us. Jesus walks amongst us when we celebrate communion. So here, here's my thing that I want to ask you to do. I want you to have a conversation with Jesus right there in your own seat. You don't have to do it out loud. You can do it quietly just so you know you can keep it to yourself. Talk to Jesus about climbing. First of all, have you invited Jesus Christ to be your mountain guide? You can do that right here today. Secondly, do you have a desire to climb? If you don't have a desire to climb, not all of us in this room have a desire to climb up the mountain. We don't. Let's be honest. So where do you get it? Do you get it by going stand out on the side of the, uh, the mountain naked, screaming and yelling? No. How are you going to get it? You're going to get it by asking. You're going to get it by saying, you know what, God? I hear your word telling me that I should want to climb this mountain. I just don't have much of a desire to do it. So could you give me that desire? And that's a great thing to talk to God about here this morning. God, could you give me that desire to climb? And the last thing here is to talk to God about it in communion is this, simply. Are you ready to climb? Will you pick up those essential ingredients? Are you willing to get into a group of people, a discipleship group, an accountability to climb? Are you willing to pick up God's word to climb? Humble your heart? Are you willing to do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. I thank you, God, that, that you call us to be climbers and not campers, and that you're calling Grace Community Church to break camp because we've been camping for a little while, and you're calling us now, God, to shoot up and, and climb a little bit higher, just to go a little bit higher on the mountain. Lord, I pray for every single person here. God, every single person is special in your sight. And God, today, as we celebrate communion and as we examine our own hearts, Father, I pray, God, that you would help us, that you would stir up inside of us a desire to climb. You would show us the right path to take, and you would help us to be successful in our pursuit of you. Lord, I pray that you would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. And, God, we are reminded as we eat this bread and we drink this cup that this represents your body that was broken for us and your blood that you shed when you died on that cross. And so, God, it reminds us you paid a really high price for us to have the freedom to choose to be a camper or to be a climber. Help each one of us to do what we should do with that freedom today. In Jesus' name, amen.